0: This is transistor.fm.
1: All right, folks, I have a great bonus episode for you this week. Tom and Robert had me on the Framework podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy this one.
0: You're listening to Framework, where we dig into the research, planning, and building that goes into bringing products to market. I'm Rob
2: Hayes. And I'm Tom Creighton, and today we're talking with Justin Jackson, who is the co-founder of the podcasting, hosting, and analytics platform, Transistor, and host of the Build Your SaaS podcast. We'll discuss building tools for creator communities like podcasters and doing it as an independent, non-venture-backed SaaS business. We wanted to talk with Justin for a couple of reasons. Justin is one of the most recognizable faces in the independent creator community on Twitter, and he manages to do more than just register a domain for every project idea he has, like some of the hosts of this podcast. He actually builds them and helps other indie creators do the same. And as podcasters ourselves, we're excited by the idea of focusing on this community of creators to provide tools to create better content and lower the barrier to entry. Justin, can you give us a short intro to yourself and what Transistor is all about for those people who aren't familiar with it?
1: Yeah, I mean that was a really nice intro you just did. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I can. <laughs> you know, live up to that. Yeah, I've been doing. Uh, kind of business stuff my whole life, but went independent from consulting in 2016. And then early 2018, John Buddha and I teamed up to work on Transistor, which is podcast hosting and analytics. So every podcast you've ever pushed play on in Apple Podcasts or Overcast or whatever is hosted somewhere. And uh, that's the part that we do.
0: Awesome. And so when you guys got going on this in 2018, can you give us a sense of what the software landscape looked like for podcasting back then? I, I, I imagine it's evolved a ton in the last two years, but uh, how much tooling was mm-hmm. in that space when you got going and and where was it focused in the, the workflow of a podcaster?
1: Yeah. So I'd been podcasting since 2012 and uh, I met John at this festival in Portland called XOXO in 2014. And at the time, John was working on another platform called Simplecast. And so he, I was self-hosting my show at the time. I had, like, WordPress and a bunch of plugins and uh, Amazon, uh, you know, AWS. I, I was kind of self-hosting it, and I thought, <laughs> thought it would save me money. And it ended up just actually costing me more money and once you added up wordpress hosting and aws and all the plugins i needed to make it work and so john said hey why don't you come over to simplecast so i did and you know fast forward we stayed in touch um john you know stopped working on simplecast for a while and he was working for cards against humanity and they wanted to launch a new show and so they said, Hey, well, you know, we're thinking about using, you know, they were looking at the platforms that were out there. And John said, you know, I, I think I could build something better than what's out there. So Libsyn is kind of the, the leader, you know, they have the most customers. Well, Anchor technically has the most users, but in the, the paid hosting, uh, you know, section Libsyn is the leader and it's, I mean, it's fine. They've been around for a long time. They've done a lot of good things for podcasting, but it's pretty old and crusty. You know, (laughs) the the, the UI hasn't been updated in a while. And, you know, we were both product people and we just felt like we had something to offer at the time. You know, we could, we wanted to create a tool that was super simple and didn't have a lot of, you know, extra bells and whistles and yeah so and we also recognized at the time that there was kind there, there was this growing wave of interest in podcasting so for years you know i would i'd have people approach me saying oh i'm thinking about building a tool for podcasters and i would always say ah i don't know if it's a good idea because a lot of podcasters are pretty were pretty d i y for a long time it was it was like having a ham radio station, you know <laughs> people in their basement putting together their own equipment and their own workflows and so the timing for a long time didn't seem right, but around two thousand and seventeen, I noticed there was kind of a shift in the tide, and not only did I personally know a lot of people who had podcasts. But, you know, every week the New York Times had a new, you know, piece on podcasting. There was Serial, there was Gimlet. Uh, and then also companies for the first time were investing in the medium. They were building little podcast studios and starting shows. And so I don't think we would have started it or I wouldn't, I was, I wouldn't have been interested unless I could see this kind of swell of demand that was increasing and as i was looking at that i felt like okay this would be a good time to team up with john and maybe actually turn this into a business as opposed to you know just an internal tool for cards against humanity
2: so when you were chatting with john either you know at xoxo or shortly thereafter how far along was was sort of this core idea of of transistor
1: so I mean, the timeline, you probably get two different stories if you talk to John or myself. Uh, I The way I remember it is we, ha- we were in a slack together from uh, a previous project that never took off. And, uh, you know, we just stayed in touch and we were sharing what we were working on. And sometime in 2017, he was saying, you know, I'm thinking about building a new Podcast hosting platform for Cards Against Humanity. And I was looking for a new project to work on. And I was, I, I'd been thinking a lot about the market and how the market you're in really determines most of your growth. I, I'd become friends with um, this fellow named Adam Wathen who uh, he's the co-creator of Tailwind CSS, which is kind of um, taking over the web web design front end landscape right now. And I just seen him launch a series of products for initially into the Laravel community, which is this big programming framework. And just the amount of momentum in that market and the amount of kind of hunger for you know, the different things he was launching, it, it really showed me that, wow, like, if you have a market that's, that's demonstrated their demand for something, like they're lining up um, for, you know, product after product, that, that, that's a lot different than launching something for, you know, a market that, you know, just kind of wants something or is maybe too small, and so there's all these checkboxes I was looking for. Is there is this market sufficiently large? Is there a growing tide of demand for something? How is that demand demonstrated in real life? Is there evidence that, you know, people are, you know, more people are getting into podcasting and that there is, you know, an opportunity to get into the market? And As I was, you know, thinking and reflecting on all these things and John's like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing another podcast hosting thing. Uh, I was just, I was like, oh my God, like this aligns for me personally. It aligns in so many ways. I could see the market demand. I'd been tracking that since 2012. I was in every podcaster's forum. I was, you know, paying for paid private newsletters for podcasters. I was in it, and I I could see that the tide was shifting. And then for me personally, uh, the opportunity had a lot of founder market fit. And I could just see in my mind that I had something to offer in a partnership. And so uh, I was the one that pitched him on the idea of us Working together and launching it together and um, being, uh, yeah, d- doing it together as a business. And John was not super, uh, <laughs> he wasn't like super enthusiastic right away, partly because he'd been burned in the past with partnerships uh, and he had a pretty good gig where he was, you know, he was comfortable. But uh, he's, he's a thinker and he went away for a couple of weeks and thought about it and then came back and said, yeah, let's do it. And so we signed our partnership agreement, um, and kind of modified all of the incorporation documents and everything probably around February of
0: 2018. And he's still here three years later, so...
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> he, he, he doesn't yet regret the decision. That's great.
1: I mean, there's definitely days where he regrets it for sure.
0: but uh, In the big th- picture.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we feel, oh, it's it's honestly every single day in Slack or not every single day, but frequently, him and I are just like, I can't believe where we're at, uh, especially because even in a good market, things are feel like they start slow and so we were you know in the beginning I mean there were definitely some growing pains and now it just uh it's definitely surpassed our kind of minimum viable dream (laughs) you know like we had a minimum viable kind of benchmark we wanted to hit and I think we said you know $20,000 Twenty thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue would be kind of default alive, and then at fifty thousand monthly recurring revenue, um, that would be a pretty good business. And we've we've passed both of those benchmarks, and so now, yeah, it's just it's a trip uh, to be here.
0: <laughs> it's it's funny because you've got you've got the po- the podcast, the Build Your SaaS podcast, that's kind of evolved or run in, in uh parallel with the business itself and I, I went spent the weekend just going through kind of episodes from start to finish just cherry picking along the way and it's like it's like watching the business and fast forward because every t- every episode there's a mention of like where you're at MRR uh, yeah. what the problems you're focused on and the yeah. the problems get kind of higher level big picture every podcast you move further into the future the MRR accelerates it's uh it's it's pretty fun to watch that that business development on, on on fast forward there
1: yeah and to have that to have that archive is pretty it's pretty dope i mean really to be able to look back and again if if my story evolves too much uh from the truth we have this <laughs> uh, this canon of truth we can go
0: back to um i want to touch on the what what you said around you know you, you felt the that that groundswell of of interest, the audience growth, the the creator growth on around podcasting when you were batting around the idea in 2018. So, you know, that gave you an indication of where the market was. How did you kind of settle in on the problem space of of hosting and and analytics as your kind of entry point into building software for that that community?
1: I think the answer would be different for John. I think John you know he had built it before and he had some some product intuition that he wanted to you know like he wanted to improve things that he'd done before um and in his case there was demonstrated demand because his employer was looking for a solution uh on my side um i was just seeing like the There's some things that are kind of the main course of a meal that everybody gets. You know, like if you're starting a business, everybody needs to get podcast, I mean, uh, website hosting. And most people, you know, you'll sign up for a Twitter account, you'll probably get some accounting software, you'll probably get some sort of project management software. And... You know, as you go further and further from the main dish, some things are more like side dishes and some things are more like dessert, you know, and side dishes kind of complement the main thing. So maybe you'll get website hosting and then you'll get uh, website analytics uh, on the side. And then maybe, you know, for fun, you might buy a few uh, WordPress plugins that are more like dessert. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to stretch the metaphor here, but that... I just noticed that there was this dynamic and in the category of podcasting, the main thing that everybody needs is hosting and analytics. You need somewhere to put those MP3s and kind of... Uh, included in that layer is you know other things too, like maybe a little website, maybe a little social media landing page, an embeddable player you can put on your your site, and uh, and a way of course a way to generate the RSS feed that you're going to then submit to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and then even there there's like oh well there in terms of the job to be done like why are people even looking for podcast hosting it's because they want to get their podcast on Spotify and Apple podcasts, and they don't know how to do that so the 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 easier you can make that, whether through the u x or just through uh, good customer support, you know there's an opportunity there so I think that that was part of what I was looking at was what's the main thing that everybody needs, and um and you know, I, I'd seen I'd interviewed folks uh, on my podcast like Zencaster, um, and I'd seen that they had a lot of success doing what they were doing, And the people that were you know buying their service were mostly businesses that had a podcast. And uh, so that was kind of interesting to me, but I also saw the technical side of of doing like web recording in a browser is quite complicated. And so if we were going to bootstrap this, it was like, this is probably a good fit in all of those vectors. And uh, there's one more thing I was going to say, but I can't remember. Maybe it'll come to me. Um, Yeah, sorry. We can... (laughs) just cut that out
2: (laughs) Mm, yeah so you you mentioned as as you were looking at the space and particularly around the time that that transistor was starting to come together you were noticing that it wasn't just individual creators anymore but like brands publishers and so on were starting to to get into the space were you trying to serve any one of those segments or really just as as you said like satisfy that that basic need for for the main dish
1: Yeah, so I think I initially I I believed this this startup um, mantra that (laughs) that you know you need to choose a niche, and so I had developed a relationship with Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine, and I was like, oh, this is perfect because Jason Cohen offered this kind of premium WordPress hosting service to businesses that was his whole that was his niche you know he's not going to be for hobbyists he's not going to be for bloggers this is going to be if you're a business and you need a wordpress site we're going to offer it to you and so our initial positioning was podcast hosting for brands and businesses and we quickly discovered that that was hurting us more than it was helping um because partly because podcasting is just a lot smaller, but also because the 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 people who are starting to podcast, uh, you know, some a lot of them don't see themselves as brands or businesses. One of the most popular shows on Transistor is um, is uh, not overthinking, which was started by these two brothers, and they had a pretty big following on YouTube and Twitter beforehand, and uh, I think it was Ali messaged me and said, Hey, just so you know, I ended up signing up, but, uh, (laughs) your messaging almost turned me off. Like I'm a YouTuber and you said brands are businesses. And then I got into the product and it's like, there's, (laughs) there's nothing about this product. It's completely agnostic. So I, I've, I've changed my thinking on that quite a bit. I, the most interesting thing to me now about a category is not like what niche is this for but rather what do they search for when they type when they look go to google to find a solution what are they searching for and in our case it's just podcast hosting that's what or how do i get my podcast on apple podcasts they these are these are people that don't kind of It'd be difficult to categorize them as an audience or a niche. They're just people who want a podcast. And some of them work for businesses. Some of them are just, you know, DIYers in their basement. There's a whole spectrum of people. And what's more interesting um, or important in our case is what are they trying to do? What are they looking for? Podcast hosting. Hosting for my podcast. Get my podcast on iTunes. That's all they care about. It doesn't. their you know, whatever characteristics we would a- assign to that group aren't as important. So, within our customer base, we definitely have a, you know, some niches. Like we, I have a lot of uh, programmers and, uh, you know, startup people starting podcasts. We have a lot of bootstrappers starting podcasts. But those groups you know, when you compare it to our overall customer base, which is, you know, thousands and thousands of people, maybe they account for hundreds of accounts, but not thousands. Um, So, yeah, there was an evolution there of how many people are looking for podcast hosting and how can we reach them? And those were the more important questions then. Who is this specifically for, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, that diversity, I guess, in in the potential kind of podcaster audience, were you able to kind of validate your assumptions or did you actively validate your assumptions or did you just kind of build something to do the validation, you know, build something and release it to do the validation?
1: I mean, I had some like we both had f- kind of fertile ground in our brains, I think, because we we'd been, you know, uh,
0: building the tools <laughs>
1: Yeah, we'd been in podcasting for a long time. And so we'd seen and heard and felt things uh, along the way, both personally and also, you know, um, I've I've seen dozens and hundreds of podcast threads on Facebook and on Twitter and in conversations at conferences. So there's all this kind of fertile ground inside of us That we were kind of i think drawing on which is the the hard part of like trying to deconstruct any sort of um, success or even how did you get here is i have to somehow communicate like all of the context that john and i brought to the table uh which is our our experiences our network the skills we've had the things we've tried the experiments we've run there's like decades of this experience that we were you know coming to the table with um which is maybe the advantage that a couple of uh you know at the time late 30s folks had uh is that we had all this experience that we could bring to the table that maybe we wouldn't have had well I definitely wouldn't have had it you know 20 or 25 S- yeah so I think bringing all that to the table and then mining that as we went along and then, yeah, testing some assumptions. Some of our assumptions were right. Uh, many of our assumptions, I feel, were right. And some of them, you know, once we kind of went down that path of, for example, we, we explored the idea of doing dynamic ad insertion or dynamic content insertion, which is still something we might do but we developed this uh this process uh this discovery process called wait and see which was basically just you know we it was just two of us and at the beginning we were working on it on the side and so you could have an idea which was oh we should do dynamic ad insertion that's is the big thing in in podcasting and some of our customers are requesting it. Like, what more proof do you need? And we we even went to Portland and met up and, like, hashed everything out and, you know, drew out all these plans. And then we got home and I said, you know, it's just like John was stressed out and I I was like, well, let's just wait and see. And we waited and see you know wait and see and then we had some customers that had left because they you know absolutely needed dynamic insertion and then a couple months later they came back and we like whoa what's going on here and they're like ah it turns out like our problem wasn't dynamic ad insertion the problem is there's just not that many there's there's uh, a lot of demand for advertisers but there's not as much supply and Maybe that's not the solution for you know the way I want to monetize my podcast, so uh, that approach, I think, has actually served us well of wait and see, and John definitely has way more of that inclination than I do. I'm like I have a new idea every day, and um, you know he he's pretty grumpy about new ideas, and that that grumpiness serves us well
2: (laughs) on that exact topic. I mean, you've, you've mentioned like you've been in podcasting for, for almost a decade and, you know, very much a, a podcast power user or power creator leaning on that experience. Did you make decisions about the product that you were building that you thought would be representative of your, of your customer base, but it turned out, you know, you were Acting on on a faulty assumption, or or has that wait and see approach sort of served you well in in that department?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of our inclinations are correct. Um, the, I mean, I don't know that. There's certainly a lot of things I want to change about the product uh, because I'm using it every day and there's yeah there's just certain things that we we put in there and sometimes didn't put a lot of thought into that we could definitely revise and make better i i, I mean the danger i get into is when my experience doesn't match up with a big section of our users experience and it's it's I I sometimes have to remember the pain and frustration I had, and even the questions I was asking early in podcasting. That now, as kind of a weathered veteran, I'm like, ah, that doesn't matter. Why does that even, you know, why do people even care? And I I remember, oh wait a second, that for example, like the one of the quintessential problems in podcasting is distribution uh to get on all of the apps and the directories and the platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google is a giant mess it really is um and you know now that i understand it and it's i understand like this is just the way it is um i it's not as big of a pain for me but i remember when i was starting i was like super confused like okay, how does all this work? You know, like like how, how does a podcast get on Apple Podcasts? And what I need an Apple ID to like create an Apple Podcasts account and then I submit it. Do I have to do that with all of these platforms? And, you know, now Google Podcasts, for example, magically indexes your show and you don't have to submit anything and Spotify requires a, submission, but and then they re-host your audio, but they still need the RSS feed. It's like all of this mess. And I like the mess because I really want podcasting to stay open. And I want, you know, for us to continue to use some sort of open platform like RSS. Um, but I also can, I'm not naive in the sense that I I see the threat from Spotify in particular. Uh you know, like if if Spotify is becomes the place to listen to podcasts, then it's it's you know, it's immaterial for them to create a platform that allows you to you know, edit and record your show and immediately upload it to Spotify and get all these great consumption analytics and have dynamic ad insertion built in. You know, like if I was just getting started out, I don't care about the open podcast ecosystem. I just want my audio to get to as many people as I can and to get that immediate feedback of, oh, wow, I'm live in the Spotify directory and people are listening and I can see their stats and wow, this is really cool. Um, that is a giant threat for Transistor, but also for the open uh, podcasting ecosystem. Have you seen
0: any material effect of that on your product or on the customer base, or is that just kind of like a something looming in the distance?
1: Yeah, it's looming in the distance. Uh, it, I mean, if anyone is listening at Apple Podcasts, I would love to talk to you. Uh, um, you know, like the the behavior we see right now is people sign up, they upload their first episode. And then the first thing they do is submit to Spotify because we have a built-in integration with them. It's automatic. It's a one-click submission. Whereas Apple Podcasts, you have to go sign up for an Apple ID. If you're a PC user and you've never had an Apple ID, you it's, it is a giant... Ugh, like just, it's the worst. Um, you have to have a payment um, method attached to your Apple ID. You have to get it verified. And then Apple it takes five to eight days for Apple to manually review these submissions, you know? And that five to eight days, it used to be 48 hours. It just keeps getting stretched out. So there's, you know, most the the, the magical moment happens when people upload their first show and then submit it to Spotify and see it in the Spotify app on their phone. Um, but because Apple is still such a big channel for distribution and people want as many people as possible to hear their show it's you know we're still that's kind of holding the balance it's it's holding the tension right now um and uh you know i the we'll we'll see what happens um i i'm hopeful that it'll stay open and really what would help i think the open ecosystem is if apple just improved their submission process um, and then Google maybe we'll see what they what happens with them. If they gain more prominence, then um their auto indexing, you know, might become uh, a standard as well. And there's they're also using a, uh, uh some tech called PubSub, which is super smart. It, it RSS is pretty dumb, right? Like all the clients just sniff rss feeds all day multiple times a day seeing if there's new episodes but PubSub, you actually send a push event to google podcasts and it says oh there's a new episode so instead of just hitting your rss feed all day it just waits for the actual push event to you know update and so just the just to build on that hey do you want to start your own podcast head over to Transistor and use my coupon, transistor.fm slash Justin. You'll get 15% off your first year of podcast
0: hosting. Points. It, it sounds like what you're saying is the risk is maybe, you know, apples. Apple's a great distribution channel right now, but the friction for creators to get their content there could just kind of see the volume of content on Apple atrophy over time, and then that would in turn, I guess... Reduce its importance as a distribution channel, and that's when you kind of when industry mm-hmm. consolidation around the Spotify's could happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, Apple Apple still has a pretty good hedge because the podcast app comes uh, pre-installed on every phone, and so uh, and so much of podcasting, and really, I think so much of real <laughs> of just real world product like the wor- the way products and things get distributed is via word of mouth. And so like, you know, you might, someone might hear about podcasting, and you may have even done this yourself. Like someone wants to listen to a show and you say, well, do you have an iPhone? And they go, yeah. And you go, okay, well, just search for podcasts in your app, you know, in your apps. There it is. Search for the show you want. Okay. Now you're listening to podcasts. So there's some, a lot of built-in strength there uh, for sure. But on the other side, (laughs) there's this threat of, you know, the easier Spotify makes it and the more kind of strategic acquisitions they make. um, Like right now, uh, you know, listen on Apple podcasts is a cultural meme, right? It is something that gets repeated a lot. And there's this strength there. But the more that, you know, if, if, Spotify buys all of the big shows and people just hear listen on Spotify over and over again that will become a cultural meme and there'll be, you know, some competition there. Um and yeah, I'm I'm really hoping it doesn't turn out the same way YouTube did uh because I think ultimately that was bad for creators. Um as soon as there's a single distribution channel the owner of that distribution channel can use that leverage to crush creators that creators will increasingly compete with each other to get the crumbs off the table and we've already seen that with YouTube. they've reduced their ad you know the, their ad share with creators and um, in some ways what what saved them is live streaming on Twitch and other things because then they had a different distribution channel but you can see the effect of this, and uh, I think open is better than closed. We saw it with blogging, we've seen it with email. Uh, even though it's more messy and it's not quite as user friendly, uh, ultimately for creators and consumers, I think open is better.
2: Just changing gears a little bit I'd, I'd love to dive into like sort of the the tactics of of building the product, and the fact that that you and John have a weekly podcast focused on on basically your business and planning process is is really interesting you know it seems like you're often talking through decision making or, or introducing new ideas how much of of that intentionally or otherwise contributes to to how transistor evolves
1: yeah the nice thing about having a weekly show with your co-founder is it's an opportunity to talk about hairy issues uh, with and still be polite.
0: <laughs> so the forced civility.
1: Yeah. Because we know it's being recorded and I mean, we always know we can scrub something uh, with editing, but uh, generally we're, we're in just it, it. Someone said that like being on a microphone just makes you a better version of yourself. And I do think that's true. It's like, it just heightens you a little bit because there's a, a element of performance in it. And that's really helped us. Uh, and that was a, you know, we, we saw uh, Alex Bloomberg do that with Startup and talk openly about how, you know, doing the show was um, a, a form of therapy and planning. And it, it, there's some sort of magic that happens when you're doing that in public. So, yeah, there's definitely some things that we talk about for the first time on the podcast, and I think it, it does really help. And th- then you have this feedback mechanism where listeners can respond. And many of our listeners are our customers as well. And so they can say, oh, you know that thing you were talking about? It's not quite right. You're missing, you know, this piece here. Well, interesting. And so we have a uh, a feedback loop there that's quite helpful, uh, and sometimes the podcast is the only time we talk in person every week, and it it it's almost like built in. It's like if you know it it'd be easy for us to just stay in our little Slack hobbit holes and just you know send each other messages back and forth, um, and I think that can be bad for just interpersonal dynamics um but also in terms of planning uh you know if we have three episodes where it's like wow we haven't talked about any product development stuff probably because we're just kind of coasting just kind of floating and maybe we need to you know do some planning so uh yeah the, the podcast definitely helps and uh, we've adopted kind of a loose, loosely adopted Basecamp's shape-up process. And what I like about it is, first of all, it's just way more calm for us <laughs> instead of feeling this pressure to have like a full backlog. You know, like it felt like I was a product manager for so many years and it felt like a lot of my job was just to make sure there's a big backlog so that developers had something to do. You know what I mean? And... uh now, it's like, no, if if we don't have something good to work on, let's just not work on it, you know? Like, we can do other things, and when something reveals itself as sufficiently important, then let's put it in a Google Doc and just kind of chew on it for a while. Like, okay, here's the thing that we're seeing, you know, let's... Let's explore the contours of this idea. But we still haven't committed to anything. You know, it's just still kind of just sitting there and it's like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, it's something new. I had a new insight about this. I'll add that to the, the Google Doc. But it's not in the backlog. It hasn't become an, an item of work. And it's only once we've said, you know what, like this thing that we've been thinking about and shaping... And, you know, kind of just tracing the contours of it feels like there's enough here that we should commit to doing the work. That's when it goes into, you know, we're, we're using Clubhouse, um, but, you know, the, that's when we translate this document into tasks that we're going to get done. Um, and yeah, that, that process has worked pretty good for us so far
0: you mentioned recently on the product journey podcast that out of the gates you saw a lot of use cases for the product come up that you didn't necessarily expect how do you go about evaluating who's a fit as a customer or which case which use cases kind of need to be accounted for in the product
1: yeah so I, we have the luxury of the Asking, like, the first question we ask is, is this a good fit for us? (laughs) You know, so I mean, part of the reason we didn't want to get into ads is it would add a bunch more complexity to the product. And we started this company to serve us. It's, it's not, um, and definitely to empower and serve customers, but I don't want to be in a position where, I have this company and I just don't like working on it and it's not giving me the things out of life that, you know, we kind of wanted in the first place. And so any, you know, there's definitely a, a bunch of requests that we get that just don't fit what we want to build because it's not a good fit for the kind of life we want to live. Uh, And I think yeah, ads is a good... We, we At one point, I had this idea for us to build a, another product called Spots.fm, and that was going to be an ad marketplace. And the more we explored that, the more it was like, ah, like that is going to require so much more human hours to just keep that machine running. Whereas right now, um, you know, there's... There's little things to fix here and there, but if John and I want to take some time off, it's it's pretty easy for us to do that. We have a few folks that help us with customer support. And um, so anything that kind of infringes on the margin that we have, not just financial margin, but margin for our time, for our mental health, um, if it doesn't fit that, then... We don't want to be involved in it. Then there's a second filter, which is, is this something we want to contribute to the world? Uh, Is this a mindful use of technology? Is it going to be good for society? And uh, Yeah, so we have, for example, we haven't spent a lot of time on building any sort of integration with Facebook uh, because we don't like Facebook. Uh, And we just think it's like not, I don't know, it's it's just a crummy (laughs) ecosystem and platform. And so we can make those decisions and it probably harms us a little bit. But overall, we just think it's contributing to a better society. It's contributing to more mindfulness for our customers and their listeners. And it's better for us. And then... Other than that, it's like if it feels like something keeps coming up and we can see both sides of it. So it's something the customer wants. And then on our side, we can see it will actually get them what they want. (laughs) Like there's that perspective of, you know, people, again, the dynamic ads uh, feature is such a good example because people are like so sure they needed that and we're on the other side going okay but we've been in podcasting a long time and we just know like most podcasts are not going to be best served by having advertisers uh there's other ways that they that folks can make some money with their podcast if they want to that are probably better fits and so we're, we 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 kind of toe the line on that you know like it's like okay well Uh, Sometimes it's just, we'll just recommend our competition if we think that's a better fit for people. Um, Sometimes we'll try to communicate our rationale and, uh, and we're also just very careful about what we introduce to the product because we know anything we start, we're going to have to support and it's very difficult to take things out. Like we have this YouTube integration that like we really wish we'd never put into the product, but now so many people are using it and it's just it's hard to take it away once it's there and I, I think it's that's actually a great example of just that that feature which allows it automatically posts your episode to youtube as a a video but there's no visual it's just you know the audio it's just uh, it's, from what i've seen like 90 i don't know like 99 percent of the time these videos get very few listens. It's a bad experience for a YouTube subscriber because they want to see video. And so when they see these audio clips in your stream, it like turns them off. Um, it's just not a great fit. If you're going to post video, you should record the hosts recording the podcast and post actual dynamic video. It's, there's a better way of doing it. Uh, rather, you, you know, that's not that much more work but you know people want it and yeah so there's a uh it's i think that's a, the hardest part about building products is that people often buy and use products for emotional reasons and um even if there's a rational side that might say well you know this isn't the best use of your time it's it's sometimes hard to argue with that so there's probably a little bit of tension between those two things that we're always just kind of dealing with. And, um, yeah, uh, there's not a perfect way to deal with it. I guess our way of dealing with it is we just wait as long as we can and we resist new ideas as much as we can, uh, and try to only build things that we feel are a good fit in a variety of ways.
2: So maybe sort of alongside that topic is that obviously, you know, Transistor is a business and, you know, a a whole lot of SaaS businesses make money, but not necessarily enough to be a, a sustainable job or or to make a living at it how how slippery is that slope in terms of feeling like you're you're just on the cusp and i you know i i saw that recently or or relatively recently on the indie hackers podcast you were mentioning like in in the early days certainly it was a, a little touch and go mm-hmm. was it always your intention to to self fund or did you think about funding or or how did you approach sort of what your your magic number was
1: yeah that's why the podcast is so Interesting as an archive because in the early days, so you know, we launched, uh, we had we did an early access in February and then of 2018, and then launched August 2nd, 2018. Um, so just you know, whatever that was, uh, six, seven months later, and you know, when we launched, I was thinking, okay. If we double our early access, we'll be at 1500 monthly revenue. And you just realize, wow, this is going to take some time. And I remember punching it into like a forecasting calculator, and I was like, well, <laughs> this might take five years. And that was uh, challenging um, for me in a financial sense and for John in a time sense. So, I came to Transistor without a lot of savings, without a lot of financial margin. You know, I've got four kids and a lot of bills. And, um, and that, you know, that was tough, um, on me personally. And by, you can hear this in the podcast, like around August, September of that year, I'm starting to flail a little bit, you know, the, it, the, the feeling of like, oh, I'm working on an exciting new project has subsided. And the reality of, wow, that mortgage still needs to get paid every month. Right. <laughs> um, and so that's when I was like starting to like really flail, like, oh, maybe we should get investment and maybe we should launch another product and maybe, you know, we should, I just all of these things, like when, when you're when you're desperate for money, it, the, the pattern is always the same. You just like start grasping for any sort of way to make money, right? And it's, it, it all has the smell of desperation on it. Uh, and so I was definitely doing that, which is one reason like uh, it sucks because the more margin you have when you start a business, like honestly, if, if you're going to self-fund – it sure helps to have a lot of money in your bank account, right? It it just does, and uh, it's for a reason a lot of people end up raising money because they don't want to take that risk themselves. There's a huge opportunity cost as well. Uh, Dez from Intercom reached out to me, and he's like, you know, you've got the financial piece, but there's also your your opportunity cost of you're investing some of your most kind of uh your best productive years to this thing (laughs) and you're hoping that it turns out so that was challenging i think what helped is at the time our numbers were public and so we had all of these mentors and connections we'd made with you know really great people um that could look at our numbers and say okay well you know what you're actually on the right track um in my worst moments, I was like, <laughs> I was emailing all these people I'd, I'd made connections with, like DHH from Basecamp and Jason Cohen. And, and the joke was like, when I get stressed out, I just email a bunch of millionaires <laughs> and just <laughs> see what, you know, <laughs> kind of whine to them. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of them were, it's difficult to give advice. In those situations because nobody really knows but they were able to look at our fundamentals and say you know what this looks the fundamentals here look good like you're growing and this is definitely you should if you can hold on you should hold on Um, as opposed to you know if they looked at our numbers and said oh like this is you know uh, it was nice having some people that could look at our numbers and I knew would give me some really honest, brutal feedback and I think all of them would have had no problems telling me it was a mistake to keep going. So that helped in those times, but it is hard in the beginning. Now looking back on it, we're so glad we didn't raise money, (laughs) like just so glad. We're beholden to nobody. Uh, we have no debt. We have no investors. We own 100% of the company. Um, and if you can make it over that threshold, it's always better to bootstrap. Always. Uh, unless, I guess, you're building something that's really capital intensive. But if the product and the market and everything aligns with bootstrapping and you can do it and you can get over that, that difficult stage it's always better to bootstrap. Always. It gives you all the control. It gives you way more optionality. Um, like if someone came to us and said, hey, I want to invest a million dollars in your company, we would have no idea of how to spend it. It's like we we can't spend the money we have right now. Like in terms of like investing it back in the product, there's not like anything we really need to spend money on. And if we do need to spend money on it, we we spend it. There's that there's so much margin built into the business, so yeah, it's it's not a it's not a, a perfect answer in the sense that I can't be you know I can't tell you to just subscribe to the bootstrapping religion and that you'll definitely you know benefit positively from it because there's a lot of pain for a lot of founders, but for us, once we crossed that threshold, it was the right decision.
0: Yeah. It, it seems like there's a lot more gray area built into the health of a SaaS business because, you know, you've done consulting before, as Tom and I have done. And, you know, it's pretty clear if you don't get another customer, you know, for, for July, you're not going to be making any revenue. But with SaaS, you know, there there is that baseline of revenue that always kind of, I guess, could could leave you holding out hope that you're on the right track and.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think if if that's not growing, that's the thing. Like if you're looking at that number and it's it's staying flat or it's not growing fast enough, um, like Jason Cohen said, you know, in in two years, if you're not at twenty k MRR, so ten thousand per founder, uh, you might want to look at it. You know, like it's just that. It, it it needs to get you to some sort of baseline fairly quick and i i think you know there's this really popular talk called the long slow sass ramp of death which has kind of been um it's a great talk it's by Gail Goodman of Constant Contact but the as a mantra it's like ah it It leads people or deludes people into thinking that, oh, well, this is just going to take a long time and it's going to be painful. And I think if you're bootstrapping, you want it to happen pretty quick, like relatively quick in the sense of within a few years, this should be showing some signs of health. And because, again, the opportunity cost of your time and your energy is so valuable. And if you, if you spend too much time on a bad idea, then, you know, I, 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 just be careful about it. And there's so many examples like Taylor Otwell, the creator of the Laravel framework, you know, he spends years kind of cultivating this open source framework and building up an audience and um, you know, doing these conferences. And by the time he launched his SaaS, he has all this fertile ground to p- plant the seeds in. And, you know, he announced uh, Forge on stage and there's about a thousand people in the in the audience. Well, he got a thousand customers that month. That was not slow. It was fast in the sense that it was gradual and then sudden. Like he he had all of this experience. And all of the, you know, all of the groundwork had been laid. But you do that before you start building the product. You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's the, that's the culmination of all of your life experience. That's, that's the ground that you're planting the seed in and the market, right? It's like, what's happening in the market? What's happened with my own experience? That's where you're planting the seed. And if, if that seed, you know, come harvest time hasn't produced, well, the ground isn't fertile, right? You're missing something, either your own experience or the market you've chosen or whatever. And so, uh, you know, you wouldn't tell a farmer to like plant some seeds. And if they don't grow (laughs) in in a season, be like, well, just wait, you know, maybe that something will happen. It's like, no, if they haven't like if they haven't sprouted in a season, you're in the wrong place. Like go find different ground.
0: And so we, we we've touched on you know MRR as the 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 major uh, quantitative measure of of the business. On, on the qualitative side, was there anything that you were really focused in on to assess your success? Yeah. What what were you looking at there?
1: I mean, qu- for me, everything is qualitative. Uh so really the only metric we look at on on you know like metrics is is like MRR and active customers that's really kind of it um I look at how many podcasts we have on the platform but the only one I'm really looking at every month is is MRR going up is it going down is it growing is it how fast is it growing that's all I really look at on the qualitative side it's just Everything else, you know, how am I seeing a lot of, uh, transistor links out in the wild? You know, when I talk to people, what do they say about transistor? Have they heard of it? Uh, how many emails do I get from folks that are, you know, or customer support messages do we get from folks that are like, oh yeah, I heard about it from this, or I've switched to you because of this. Those are the things I'm paying attention to every day. Um, I get worried when our customer, like customer support, is our one of our biggest challenges. We get quite a few requests every day, and if I, but if it goes, you know, if it slows to a trickle, I get worried (laughs) because I want to see what's in there. Like, what are people exploring? What are people? having a tough time with what do they want like why why are they here what brought them to transistor today and what what underlying motivation was there you know to start a podcast um yeah and then just qualitatively what's happening in the industry uh i'm a member of like i don't know like there's at least at least five or six slack different slacks that i check fairly regularly just because I want to see like what's bubbling in the you know in the ecosystem, what are people recommending without even being prompted to? Um, what are the the honest challenges folks are having? All that stuff is kind of out there, and that's yeah, that's me every day just looking at it and and kind of mentally recording it or maybe jotting a note in my Apple notes app or whatever of, oh, here's what I'm seeing. And, oh, when I shared, like, I, I've noticed, for example, like podcasters just want to be noticed. So if you if you put their show in your monthly newsletter, they're over the moon. Like they just, any, for anyone to notice their show and recommend it is massive for them. And so we try to do that quite a bit. Um, the same applies for listeners, actually. Uh, we, you know, we have a Patreon for build your sass and initially we, we just did it to test the, we have a little integration with Patreon and I was surprised when people started signing up and I thought, oh, we're going to need to create all this extra content for them. And, and the truth was what, <laughs> what they wanted and that I noticed kind of through qualitative, like just measure is they just want us to mention them at the end of the show and that became a part of the the you know, just kind of a part of the the culture of the show is that we do these shout outs at the end of the show and people hear the same names every week and sometimes these people get n- recognized at conferences and stuff like that's the kind of stuff you kind of stumble on uh through observation that you might not get from a survey or like by looking at your analytics.
0: Yeah, I guess that that need for, for distribution means that there's very little that happens in the podcast community in, in the shadows. You know, you can kind of see, see all the activity in the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, folks are always asking questions publicly. And it's helpful in that sense, for sure. I think people can still get there, though, in other product c- categories just by becoming a member of, you know, private Slack channels. Um, you know, me, this is like when I'm at conferences, I sometimes like ask, like to ask people like, what like secret Slack and Telegram groups are you a part of? Cause increasingly that's where, you know, people kind of converse in these back channels of the internet. And, um, they It's surprising, you know, how many of those are out there. And, you know, sometimes to get invited, you just say, Hey, can I become a part of that? And and then you're in there and you can observe, you know, what people are talking about and what they're recommending and the struggles they're having.
2: Just to to round things out as as we're, I guess, thinking a bit more on on the business side of things, obviously as as a software as a service business, you know, you've got your sort of day-to-day focus on on growth and so on, but how do you ensure you're thinking about or, or planning for the next more strategic phase of your business? How do you avoid staying two heads down?
1: Part of it is that we just we do move pretty slow. <laughs> we're we're pretty chill now. Um, we we're not in a rush to fill our calendar. We're not in a rush to fill our backlog. We, you know, time and space really does give you perspective. There's there's like so many people over the years that I was so jealous of. Uh, And then you just let time elapse and you go, oh, wow, I really should not have been jealous of that person. You know, like it it just, it it gives you perspective. And so I think by slowing down, that's helped us quite a bit. On the other hand, in some ways, this is something I'm struggling with is uh, I have this feeling now that we've had some success. But I want to um, I want to have some sort of hedge, you know, against the the possibility that things could go bad. And so in this time where we do have margin and we do have space, I'm thinking through like, okay, what should we like? Should John and I be investing in other companies? Should we start something else? Should we be? You know, you know, should like should we be trying to figure out ways to take money off the table? Um, there's all sorts of things i I think we're wrestling with right now. That, um, yeah, I I don't really have an answer for yet. And and strategic for transistor is itself. I mean, podcasting has the advantage of it's never been a rocket ship sector. It's been growing pretty steady since, you know, for like two decades or something. Um, it, it's just, there's not going to be anything super, even the things that people think are going to be super revolutionary, like, oh, we're going to have dynamically inserted ads. It's like, okay, you know, it, it probably isn't going to be a big deal. Uh, we thought Anchor was going to be a big deal, you know, offering free podcast hosting and it didn't end up being a big deal. So I shouldn't say that I'm, I'm not concerned. Like I said, there's definitely things on the horizon I'm concerned about. And strategically, in terms of like what we want to add to the product, there's things where we're kind of letting simmer, but we're also trying to be slow with how we implement those things. I think if I have any sort of like anxiety about a strategic anxiety, it's thinking, we're on a wave right now. But every wave eventually subsides or at least becomes, you know, less of a swell. And what are we going to do then? Um, And in my mind, it's not, I don't think podcasting has that much more room. Meaning, like, there's not going to be something that comes along that really changes the trajectory, the growth trajectory, you know, how much... Interest there is in the category, I think we're pretty much seeing that right now. Like this is kind of where it is, and maybe it'll be like blogging, and blogging just keeps trucking along forever, and people just keep starting blogs. Um, and you know that would be that would be great. Um, maybe it's more like, uh, I mean, definitely if it if it becomes centralized, then that will. I think, kill the category as far as we're concerned. So, that, yeah, I, I'm more thinking like what is there outside of podcasting uh, or maybe adjacent to podcasting that we should be looking at? And the most recent example of, a, of that for us was private podcasting. So we, we've created uh, private podcasts that really automate a lot of the onboarding you would do with a private subscriber. And then the next phase of that is paid pri- private podcasting. That's definitely a wave that we're seeing with Substack and Patreon and everyone else. And so, yeah, we're like, okay, well, that's an interesting, you know, kind of adjacent thing that we should be looking at strategically. Uh, again, we're not in a huge rush to, to you know, build something super quick. Um, it's like, okay, let's just kind of ease into this, get a feel for the water. If the water's good, we'll keep going but long term i'm just thinking about okay what, what should we do with the resources we have now to ensure that you know we're we 're not wasting what we have? Is there something else we should be getting into now that's going to you know plant some seeds now and have them uh, grow up next season that we can take advantage of
0: that that's great I think that's a that's a really great sentiment to end it on there. I, I appreciate you both kind of giving us the history of uh, of the product and how you've gotten to this state and then ending it off with a little look into the future. So thanks so much for joining us today to talk through all this.
1: Yeah, no, this was great. This is uh, just it, it, every interview is a little bit like therapy. <laughs> so I, it was really nice being able to yeah hang out with you too.
2: Framework is part of the Spec Network. That is a podcast network built to help designers and developers level up. And you can find a lot more shows like Framework over at spec.fm.
1: Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm Justin and get 15% off your first year.